How are you all today? Pretty good? Pretty good? Hi, there's still room. How are you? There's room. There's room. Come on up. There you go. I would like uh, uh, to know, because I started learning the Lord's Prayer when I was about your age. Have you started learning the Lord's Prayer? You say some of it along, or most of it even, as we say the Lord's Prayer. Who knows some of the Lord's Prayer? You know some of it? I want to talk about the middle of the Lord's Prayer. The very middle of it, what we call the fourth petition, is give us today our... Oh, wait. How about if you say it with me? Do you think you know it? Give us today our daily bread. Let's say that again. Give us today our daily bread. And that's, that's all we're going to talk about today. It's just that. And I want to talk about what that means because it's about more than bread. When Jesus teaches us to ask for daily bread, he's really telling us that we can ask for everything that we need. What are some of the things that you need to have? You think of one? The Bible, the Word of God. A house. That's a great one that we often don't think of. You need a house. What else do you need? Food and water and a blanket, I think I heard you say, right? Yeah, you have to be warm. And clothes, in fact, and shoes and stuff like that. And food and water and heat in the winter time and a breeze in the summertime. Anything else? A jacket, stuff to keep you warm. Um, and there are many other things that we need to have. Our parents need to have money so they can pay for the, the mortgage and, 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 and the car payment and, other, and the rent and things like that. Things that maybe you don't even think about. And we're actually praying that God will give us even that stuff that we don't think about, but we need to have anyway. And you know what? God makes sure that we have it. He would give it to us anyway, right? But in the prayer, he wants us to ask so that we remember that it all comes from him. Whenever we say, say it with me again, give us today our daily bread. Let's pray about that, all right? Heavenly Father, Jesus taught us to say, give us our daily bread. And we know that that means a lot more than just a loaf of bread. It means everything that we need for our body, for our life, and for everything else. And you give it. Thank, uh, thank you for all that you give. And help us to remember that it comes from you. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Word of God for meditation is the appointed Old Testament lesson for this week. It is Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 and 2, and 12 to 14, and from chapter 2, verses 18 to 26. And it is a condensation of not only this part of the book of Ecclesiastes, but in many ways of, of the entire book of focusing where our attention needs to be. Solomon says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless,
I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. And this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. How sinful am I? You and I know that everything we do is stained with sin. All of my words, all of my, even my posture, what people call the, one's body language, is affected and afflicted by sin. We realize that our thoughts, our, our very thoughts are under siege from, from, from outside and from all around us by sinful impulses, by concepts that come from other places and from inside, and all from our enemy, the devil, so that we are always sinful all the time. And God sent his son, Jesus our Savior, to enter into the world to live the perfect sinless life that God requires of us all. And he did it in our place. And he died the perfect innocent death so that our sins were laid on his shoulders so that none of the guilt of our sins is on our account because we put our faith and our trust in him. He had compassion on us. He made satisfaction for our guilt and our sinfulness. He rescued us from all of our sins. And now what Solomon the teacher is talking about is what comes in the life of the believer knowing that this is our status before God. This is about our spiritual lifetime. 
How do I live to give glory to God? What is my attachment to my achievements? What is the true value and meaning of what I do? Solomon did a lot. Solomon wrote, we're told early in the book of 1 Kings, that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs, that he wrote 1,005 songs. That's not an estimate. That's one more than 1,004 songs. That he wrote a, a whole library all by himself, books and treatises on uh, plants, on uh, uh, volumes, on, on different animals, and on, on, on birds, and even on things like reptiles and, and fish. Uh, but he says in our text that he hated all of this. He, he came to hate it all because he was going to have to leave it all behind to someone else. Someone who had not worked for it. Somebody who might not care. And somebody who might not use it to illuminate their mind and their, and their knowledge but might use it instead to light a room or to warm the fire on a cold winter night. And you know, while we do have the books, the inspired books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the Bible, which surely must account for most, if not all, of the 3,000 Proverbs that Solomon wrote, of the 1,005 songs, we only have two. Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. That's it. Did his deadbeat son, King Rehoboam, fold up the rest of it to prop under a wiggly table leg? Or did he use it to start the fire? Or, or was it, as, as I think is more likely, was it simply destroyed when the scriptures were being rescued by the priests? Did the rest of Solomon's library and output end up in the fire when the Egyptians came in Rehoboam's time, or later when the Assyrians came in Isaiah's lifetime, or when the Babylonians came in Jeremiah's lifetime, and it was all gone. The loss of a book or two that are not part of the Bible is not necessarily a tragedy, but what if it was something you created? What if something of yours vanished just after your lifetime? How would you feel about that? If it was your, your business, your home, your farm? Maybe you created a whole new industry. Or your family. There are quite a few members of our congregation, those from the past and those from the present, who have, as Solomon did, have written or taken part in or illustrated wonderful books for the benefit of, 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 of children and of mankind and of God's holy church. Children's books, theological books, textbooks, histories, Hebrew commentaries, hymns, most of those authors would, I think, be embarrassed and would not like it if I said their names out loud from the pulpit. But two of our members who have in recent years been called home to heaven, um, um, I, I, I would like to point out Professor Lyle Lang and Professor Dan Deutschlander, both of whom 
wrote many books, theological textbooks, which um, are important contributions to Christian education, um, to the Holy Christian Church on Earth, and which um, several of them I reach for almost every day on my shelf above where I put my laptop. That's where they are, the writings of those two men, because they are so useful and so helpful and so uplifting. And I know that nothing I could ever write would ever preach, approach rather, um, the value of what they did. But most people do not leave paper to prosperity in their lives. What is the true value and meaning of all the other things that we do? Solomon asks, what do people get for all their toil? Well, consider the, the, the basic and ordinary labor of everyday life, of the daily job. Whatever you do, you do to benefit a portion of mankind or of all creation or of God's holy church. And maybe you do it for a small portion or maybe you do it for a very large portion or an unknown number. But uh, uh, it, it might be that you plant and harvest or you might care for animals, you might cook, you might heal, you might fix, you might clean, you might sell or build or haul or defend. You might teach or train or, or assist in raising, or you might yourself raise children. All of these things please God. None of them, none of those tasks is useless or parasitic. You're not a pirate. You're not a thief. You're not an empty windbag. You do something useful in God's kingdom, whatever it is. If you do it, and when we do it, to give glory to God. God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. And each one of us plays a role, a unique role in that act. Whatever you do is part of that vast chain or tapestry of, of, of tasks that enables the entire human race to subdue and care for the world that we have been given by God. So let's take a look at one task that God gives to every single generation, to men and women throughout history. Not to everybody, but most people have at least some part in raising children, and especially in parenting. Every parent knows that children do not come with instructions and that we make mistakes. When my first son was born and my wife was finally getting some sleep and all of the visitors left and the nurse left to clean the bassinet, that's the thing they lay the baby in, and handed me that child. And I looked around thinking, I should really hand him off to his dad. And then I realized I'm his dad. It, it hadn't hit me completely until that moment. And, 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 and that education of a parent continues. Even now, 26 later, it keeps on going because you never stop learning. And it does seem, doesn't it, like some of the best lessons you learn in parenting come after, long after you needed that lesson. But God forgives our mistakes. 
in the same way. Parents need to be patient and forgiving with our children. If my child makes a mistake, how should I react? If my child sins, how should I react? Do I have to get as angry as my grandfather used to? Or can I help my child learn from his mistakes, repent of his sins, even learn to ask God's help in avoiding temptations and sinfulness? After all, a mistake is not always identical to a sin, and an unexpected act on the part of a child may not be a sin or a mistake at all, just unexpected. Like when the boy Jesus remained behind in the temple while his parents were traveling back north to, to Nazareth. And they came back wondering if they were going to punish, if they were going to scold, but it wasn't a punish-worthy or a scolding-worthy event. Some of the lessons that parents learn involve what not to do. And maybe some of the lessons we learn as children from our parents are, I'm not going to handle it that way when I become a dad or a mom. God continues to forgive our mistakes and our sins. And knowing that he does, we want to turn away from those things and make changes in our parenting and in all of the other tasks that we do. Solomon says when we serve God and when we are content, this is from the hand of God. This is a blessing from God. Here is the gospel in our text. He gives us satisfaction even in our work. We often see this in opposite ways when in those moments when we're unable to work, when we're laid up or laid off or between jobs or when we just can't work any longer, we realize that we often will get what? Irritable, frustrated, angry, pessimistic. We get down about it. We begin to nitpick other people and it's not their fault. This is one of the many evils that comes from worry and about which we need to pray. Because worry can come from fear or mistrust in God. That maybe God won't look after our loved ones, won't preserve our life's work. But if I serve God with my labor, whatever that labor might be, and then moments after my death, it would all be undone as if I never even had existed. Didn't I benefit from it anyway? Didn't I serve God with my labor? And therefore, if God were to use my life primarily to keep me focused on Him and on salvation through Christ alone, then the labor of my lifetime, even if it doesn't survive me, was for a good and godly purpose. And praise God that it was. He will use our labor for whatever purpose he might need. Maybe he will preserve everything you have worked for and, and will benefit mankind with it, or dozens or thousands with it. But maybe that work is more about him giving you a way to serve him with the gifts that you have than it is about posterity and what is to come. Don't worry about tomorrow and what will happen to what you do. Maybe we don't have to build bigger barns or build bigger toy boxes or fill every empty shelf and corner of our house. Do your task today, today, 
as if it's like a meal to be eaten. Because what's the great victory of a meal? It's when nothing is left over. When all of it goes, all of it's been used. That's the great victory. God uses the life and legacy of the unbeliever to do nothing but benefit his church and his dear people. And God uses the life of the believer to further the work of the church and to bless the family of God. So serve God with your whole heart and all of your life and every one of your resources that so your very struggling last breath is to his glory. Because no matter what your task, remember that to give God glory with our lives is the true value and meaning of what we do. Amen. Please permit me to share with you one of Solomon's 3,000 Proverbs. This is Proverbs 10, verse 2, and it serves as our stewardship thought for today. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness, which comes from Christ alone, delivers even from death.